That's why it's so important to continually dive deeper into the gospel because you will never reach the end. You can keep going to the gospel without having to ever worry that you'll find the end of it because you won't. You will never find the end of his love for you. You will never find the end of his righteousness. You will never find the end of how just he is. You will never find the end of his wrath if you're on the other side of things. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wartime Theology. I'm Joshua Leonard and this will be our final episode for our five-part gospel series and we're going to be going over the response of the gospel today. This is going to be a bit of a different episode than our other ones. It's going to be a little more informal. I don't have Alex with me. He's back in Richmond and we were unable to get our Wi-Fi connection to work properly. So Right now, I'm just recording this episode by myself, and he might do one by himself later on. But anyways, today we're going to be talking about the response to the gospel message to the other four episodes. How should one respond? And we're not just going to be talking about how someone who isn't saved should necessarily respond, although we will definitely be talking about that. But also, as Christians, how should we respond to the gospel message, hearing it again? And every time we hear it, how should we respond to that message? So today I'm going to start in Mark chapter 4, right? And I'm going to start at verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where he, it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produce grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution rises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So right away, Jesus is giving us four different responses to the gospel. Yes, there are four different types of responses to the gospel message that Jesus is giving us here. 
So the first response is where the seed falls on the ground, the bird picks it up, and Jesus says that that's like Satan takes the word that is sown in them. This can be related to someone who doesn't have faith or repentance. They don't believe it. They don't want to repent or anything. It, it almost does nothing in them because it's immediately taken away. Either they're distracted or they decide, ah, I don't need to worry about that or whatever it might be, or they just come up with some excuse. You know, if you have a gospel encounter with someone and you share the gospel with them and it's just like, ah, I don't care, you know, just leave me alone. I've got what I've got. Whatever it may be, um, this is where there's no response whatsoever to the gospel or they decide to wait on it or whatever. There's no response. The second type of response that is given here is the seed falls into the rocky ground and because it has no root, when the sun comes out, it withers up. And Jesus explains that that's like when someone doesn't have any faith. And so when a trial or persecution comes, they are unable to stand on it. And so this is the second type of person you'll get. They might have repentance. That is, they seem to receive it, but they don't actually have any true faith. They don't actually have faith in what they're what they're believing in a sense. It could be just like a head knowledge, like, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, but they're not actually acting on that. Because as soon as some sort of trial persecution comes, he's not really Lord because they're willing to give him up for anything. It's just like, as long as safety, you know, as long as I have safety or whatever, which it really can apply for uh, people today, how quickly we're able to give up things for safety in this culture and in this generation. How quickly would we be willing to give up what we believe, you know, with our Christianity? For these people, you know, if you go and you ask them, you know, what is your faith based on? They can't give you a really good answer. And I've, I've known people in the church like this who think they're Christians, who seem to be Christians from the outside, but they don't have any root. They don't have any faith. And they take man's word and they consider it as high or higher than God's word. And you can't consider man's word higher than God's word because when you do that, you're destroying that root. You have no root or no foundation to stand on. It's important to have faith in God and what he says over what man says or what over what anybody else says. So when we hear the word, we need to not only repent, but we also need to have that faith to accept it and realize that it's God's word. Next, we have those who are sown among the thorns and the thorn comes up and chokes it out. Again, you have this idea of someone who seems to seems to accept it, but he doesn't really. And this time, the main thing that's getting in the way between him accepting it is not a lack of faith. He does, well, I mean, somewhat a lack of faith, but not in the same way as the other person. You know, he's not necessarily taken down by trials in that sense, but rather he decides that it's not worth it. It's not worth to give up the sin for Christ. So this is someone who you see who calls themselves a Christian and there's no change in their life. There's no sanctification coming out. You know, maybe they get a little better, but ultimately they don't let it stop them from doing what they want to do as far as their life choices. They become greedy or they may allow sexual sin to overcome them completely to a point where they don't care anymore. There's no struggle, there's no battle within them in that sense. So that's another response to the gospel that someone can have is where they, in a sense, accept it, but really it just starts to fall away because they want to enjoy what, they want to be able to enjoy their sinful passions. So that's the idea of they had faith, but no repentance. But the other one was they had 
repentance but no faith, but this time they had faith but no repentance. And like I said, it's not a full faith either, because if they did, they would see that what God says is better than anything else. So it's not a full faith either. There's this idea of that there can be people who seem to be Christians that are not. And I think that's, for these those last two, that's the real point I want to get across here, is that you can have people in the church who really seem to be believers but are not. And it's important to talk to people about this. And, you know, when I go out and I'm sure the gospel with people, one of the things I'll ask them is, you know, even if they say they're Christian, I still go into a gospel conversation with them just to make sure and see, you know, where are they actually aligned? What is your faith based on? What do you actually believe in the Bible? And if there's any change there, and, and you can usually tell by how the person responds as to whether or not they actually believe what they're saying or not. So the fourth one, and the one that we should strive to respond as, is that we have both faith and repentance. They hear it, accept it, and bear fruit. So not only do we hear it, but we also accept it in the sense that this becomes our truth for us in the highest sense. You know, it's you can't deny it anymore because you know it's true. We know God's word is true, therefore we act on it. And that's what it means by bearing fruit. We, we don't just say we know God's word is true. We prove that we know God's word is true by our actions. So if I say that tomorrow I'm going to go and call everyone that I, I know and tell them I love them, but then I don't ever do it, you know, that, that didn't actually, I was lying that other time. I, I don't actually, I didn't actually mean it. If you're actually going to mean it, that means that there has to be actions that show that you do mean it. If you don't live a life and you say you're a Christian, you live your life and you have absolutely pretty much no actions that prove that you actually meant it, then you should probably be questioning whether you're really saved or not. That should be something that you really need to be considering. I'm not saying that your actions save you at all. I'm saying that if you're saved, your actions will prove that in the sense to you. You're already saved and your actions are proving that to yourself. And that it's kind of complicated. I don't want to get into the, the point of saying that, like I said, I don't want to get into the point of saying that these things save you or that you should just be trying to do things so that you can prove to yourself you're saved or something weird like that. Rather, you should just be following after Christ and these things will come naturally in the sense that the more you get closer to Christ, the more and more you're going to act like him and therefore the more and more your actions will reflect him. I don't think it's anything you can even necessarily do by yourself. You might be able to put on a face that you've changed, but inwardly you're still going to be that same man unless you know that you actually know the Savior and he's changing you from the inside out. That's pretty much all I have to say about this parable. So we have the four different choices, and basically it comes with no faith, no repentance, faith, no repentance, repentance, no faith, and faith and repentance. And we can see here that both faith and repentance are necessary for true salvation. And you have so many people here in America and around the world who don't actually practice both faith and repentance. They instead just maybe they say they have a faith in a sense, but just like it says in James, they don't have any works that in a sense show that their faith is actually real faith. Just like I said, it's not the works that save you, but works prove that you are saved because you know the Savior and that will change you, period. It's going to. It might take a while and it might be a slow process. Your sanctification may be gradual, but there will be growth and there will be change. 
And people should be noticing that throughout your life, how you've been changing and how you've been growing and getting closer to God. And you should be noticing that throughout your life. And if you can look back at your life and maybe you read the Bible more than you used to, or maybe you pray a lot more than you used to, maybe evangelism is a lot more important to you than it used to be. There should be that sort of growth. That's what I'm talking about. There should be that sort of growth. Sins you used to struggle with, you no longer struggle with as much. Not to say that those temptations might not always be there, but the closer you get to Christ, the more those temptations are going to be less and less powerful in your life because the more you want to satisfy Christ over anything else in your life. So, I know that was kind of a mouthful. Uh, I have a bit more I'd like to read as to really get on to the response that one should have. And I wanted to do Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And there's a whole lot just in here that we could go through. But one of the things I want to talk to you about is going about the responses. This is God telling you, again, what the correct response is. And not only that, but why it makes logical sense for you to respond in this way. He says, you thirst, you know, come everyone who thirsts to the waters. You don't, who don't have any money. In other words, it doesn't cost anything, but you can come by wine and milk without money and without price. You can have unlimited food, unlimited water. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Not only can you have food and water, but you're spending your money currently on something that is not even real food. And yet you can have food without having to pay a cent. And why do you labor for that which is not satisfied? So just starting with this, it's like we look for our satisfaction in everything else besides Christ. And Christ is the ultimate satisfaction. He actually satisfies us. He 
fills us up with food and he quenches our thirst, you know, and of course, if you read the New Testament, you read the Bible, you know, where Jesus talks about him being the bread and being the water and anyone who comes to him will never thirst again. Anyone who comes to him will never be hungry again. You know, he is this bread. He is this water, you know, that we can come to him and be fully satisfied. So this this kind of comes two ways. For one who is not saved, come to him and you will find true satisfaction at him. This is the answer to everything you need. And you've been trying to get everything you need without God. But the truth is, is that you can't. The only way you can get everything you really need is by coming to God, by humbling yourself before him and by throwing yourself at the mercy of his court and asking for forgiveness and putting your trust in him. That's the only way you can actually have the satisfaction. And as believers, in retrospect of the gospel of the past four episodes, this is what we need to do as well. Sometimes as believers, we can, in a sense, stray away, not necessarily leave the faith or something like that. What I'm saying is, is that we simply aren't spending as much time with Christ as we should. And this is a callback to just... Why are you not spending as much time as you should? Are you spending some more time time somewhere else when you could just be there with him, constantly being satisfied? And so as Christians, we should constantly be coming to the place where we can be satisfied. And at least for me, I know that when I come to the place where I can be satisfied, I feel satisfied. And then when I stop or I go to bed and then, you know, I wake up the next morning and for some reason, sometimes I won't go right back to that. I'll start going somewhere else and then I'll be like, I just won't feel fulfilled or anything. And so then when I end up coming back, that's when I feel that fulfillment again. Why? Because he's the only one who truly satisfies. And so as Christians, we need to constantly be coming through the feet of Jesus, constantly be coming back to him and abiding in him, like it says in John, abiding in him and drinking and eating. Because here we found a, in a sense, bottomless pit that we will never get to the end of the water that he gives us to drink. And we will never get to the end of the bread that he gives us to eat. We can constantly come to him and continually eat and just be satisfied and satisfied and satisfied. And we never have to worry about reaching a bottom or an end. Like you can go somewhere, get your quick fix in a sense with sin. You know, if you can get a quick bite to eat, it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to last. It's like choosing between a bottomless ocean and a Coca-Cola. The Coca-Cola might be sweeter in a sense, but it's it's not actually going to satisfy you. You're, you're going to drink the whole Coke and then it's going to be empty and you have nothing left. And also, it's not really actually hydrating you. The only thing that's going to actually hydrate you is that bottomless ocean of water that is Jesus Christ. And so it's kind of like that. You need to come to him constantly as a Christian as that's the most satisfying thing. That is the most logical thing and is the most best thing for us to do as Christians in the sense to continually come to him. And that's one of the great things about the gospel is it reminds us of who we are and how horrible and destitute and terrible we are before him and how much we deserve death. And yet he's willing to die for us on the cross. He's willing to go and do this for us. And he's giving us this free gift. And it's constantly reminding us to just come to him and lay it all down at his feet and just humbly be our be servants before him just every day waking up and taking up that cross. And this is one of the reasons why we should 
preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis and constantly remember these things about the gospel because they they give us that mindset of coming to Jesus, coming to God, and just resting and abiding in him. One of the, the last uh, last thing I want to talk about, and I was talking about this with my, my dad the other day. We were just talking about how the cross, in the cross, you have the entire relationship between humanity and God. And so I'm just going to read this real quick. Just remember the context here is that you have the three crosses, right? So that's what I'm really talking about here is just specifically the three crosses. You have the two criminals, one on the left, one on the right, and Jesus is in the middle. All right. And this can kind of be like a, this is like a representation of God and humanity in a sense. All right. We have criminals on the two sides. At the beginning, both of the criminals are mocking Jesus. But then starting at verse 34 in chapter 23 of Luke, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then they cast lots to divide his garments. I want to skip to verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So we have the two criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Both of them at the beginning were mocking him. But then one of them continues to mock him and says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And see, I think it's interesting there that he says, and us. It's like, he's not humbled. He sees Christ as just as bad in a sense as he is, or he sees himself as just as good as Christ is. And that's after he already said, Father, forgive them. He sees himself as on the same level as Christ because he's like, save yourself and us. Like, get us out of here. You know, if you really are the Christ, get us out of here because we both deserve to get off this thing. That's the mindset that he has going into this. The other criminal says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. In other words, I deserve this and you deserve this. He does not deserve this. We are not on the same level. The first thing he says is, do you not fear God? And that's interesting because we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so his response to the gospel, in a sense, is one, he fears the Lord. He sees that God has every single right to condemn him and to give him this condemnation. He sees that, second, he sees that he is condemned and that he is justly condemned, that there is a judgment. He's being judged for it and he's rightly being judged for it. He deserves condemnation. He fears God and he knows he deserves condemnation. He admits it. He admits that he's a sinner and he admits that Jesus has done nothing wrong, that Jesus is righteous. You know, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, judgment, and righteousness. And what you can see here is this man is being convicted of that exact same thing, of sin, judgment, and righteousness. And all he says is, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't say, take me off the cross. He knows that he deserves this. 
All he asks is that he's remembered. And Jesus says some of the, I, I think if you could pick any statement that Jesus could say to you right now, that would be like the, the best statement he could say to you. I think it would probably be this for me, um, besides maybe well done, good and faithful servant. Um, I don't know. Those two are pretty close. But this one's this one's probably like the best thing he could say to me right now. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say much, just one simple statement. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And here we see the three types. You know, we see Jesus, who's God, bearing our sin, being mocked by the world. We see the one criminal who mocks Jesus, doesn't repent, and thinks that Jesus is just as bad as he is, in a sense, or that he's just as good as Jesus is. It doesn't necessarily say, but by the context of what he says, we can we can assume that he thought that he should be saved along with Jesus. And then we have the third, the third response, which is the response of the Christian, which is that we should fear God. We should understand that we deserve the sin and this condemnation, that Jesus is perfect, and we throw ourselves at the mercy of the court. We just throw ourselves at the mercy of Jesus. And also, here he admits the divinity of Jesus as well. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's not just something, it's your kingdom. So here he's also admitting the divinity of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's such a, a wonderful thing that only God could have orchestrated that you have this beautiful picture between God and the two main responses of humanity. Like I said, there are four responses, but two main responses. That is one of rejection and one of acceptance. And we see this humility. And we also know that with the tax collector and the Pharisee, that humility is so important. Understanding how much we deserve the judgment for our sin. Understanding how little we can do to our save ourselves. It's absolutely nothing. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We are completely and utterly helpless and weak. We are fully depraved and sinful. We are just utterly incapable of doing anything of saving ourselves. And all we can do is throw ourselves at the mercy of, of Jesus and just trust that he is a merciful God. And that's what we do as Christians. We trust that he said he would save us. He has no reason or obligation to do that other than that he said he's going to do it. It's only because of his, his will that he saves us. It's only because he says he will save us that he saves us. That's it. That's the only reason he saves us is because it's who he is. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to send Jesus to come and die on a cross to save us. He didn't have to do any of those things. He could have judged us and, been, and it would have been over with and it would have been perfect and right and fair. And yet that's not what he does because he loved us and because he wanted to, he made a way because that's who he is. He is a God who makes a way for his children. So that's the main thing I want to talk about. Our response today and every day for the rest of our lives should be one of humility. It should be one of throwing ourselves constantly at the mercy. I'm not saying as Christians, you need to be throwing yourself constantly at the mercy and asking to get saved every day or something like that. What I'm saying is, is that as Christians, we need to be humbly coming before him, understanding our position, but also 
remembering what he's done for us and our new position as his children. And that should humble us even more because we know how much we don't deserve that. We know how much we shouldn't be his children. And we know how much it costs so that we can be his children in the sense that, well, we don't know fully, but we know more and more and more. And that humbles us more and more and more. And we praise God more and more and more as we learn those things more and more and more. And that's why it's so important to continually dive deeper into the gospel because you will never reach the end of these attributes. They are, his attributes are known, but they are endless. An attribute, for example, is love. His love is known. We know he's he's a God of love. That's pretty simple. You probably learned that in Sunday school when you were like four years old, that Jesus loves me, this I know. But the depth of that love, the, the infinite amount of that love can never be reached or fully known or understood by us. And so the more we know Christ and the more we know his love, you just will never reach that end of it because you'll just know it more and more and more. And it just grows and grows and grows and it overwhelms you more and more and more. And you can keep going to the gospel without having to ever worry that you'll find the end of it because you won't. You will never find the end of his love for you. You will never find the end of his righteousness. You will never find the end of how just he is. You will never find the end of his wrath if you're on the other side of things, which you don't want to be. That's why this response is so important because all of God's attributes are infinite in this way. His judgment, his righteousness, his wrath, his love, his holiness. You know, and I could go on and on about his attributes. So it's so important to look at the gospel in this way and to respond coming humbly before him and just thanking and praising him and worshiping him and following him and obeying him. These should be the kinds of responses because you just see the magnitude of his love. The more you come and begin to actually really process the gospel in that way in your life, the more and more and more you see him and you're abiding in him and the more and more and more you will become like him. That is the true way to overcome sin. It's not by just struggling with it and kind of doing it on your own. No, it's by getting as close to Jesus as possible. It's by spending as much time with Jesus as possible. Because when you're doing that, you become more like him. And I'm just going to close it out with that. If you are not saved, then the best response and really the only good response to the gospel is to get on your knees humbly before God and beg him for forgiveness. It's to throw yourself on the mercy of the court. And the wonderful thing is that he says that he will by no means cast you out. If you come to him humbly and ask him to save you from your sin, you're turning away from your sin and you ask him, Lord, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be in this sin anymore. Save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And you come to him with that mindset, with that humility that we rightfully should have. He says he will by no means cast you out and he will keep you until he brings you home. All right, I'm going to close out in prayer now. 
Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this podcast, Lord, and how you've allowed me to use it, Lord, and for Alex to use it, Lord. And I just uh, thank you for allowing us to be able to do this gospel series and to share the gospel in this way, Lord. I just pray that regardless of what we said, that your true gospel would shine through, Lord. If there's any mistake that we made or any way we misspoke about your gospel, Lord, I pray that you would just take that away from people's mind and let your true gospel show through, God. That you would reveal yourself to mankind, Lord, and that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on people and convict them of sin, judgment, and righteousness, Lord, and that you would strengthen them, those who are saved, and show them the importance of the gospel and dwelling and abiding in you, Lord. I just pray that you would help us all during this time, especially since there's just so much unrest in the world right now, God. I just pray that you would show them that only true rest and satisfaction and peace can come through you, Lord Jesus. It's only by you that we will ever see real peace and that we will ever see real truth and real love and real unity, God. It's only through you that we will see you real unity. And so I just pray that you would bring us and unite us together under the true gospel, under you, Lord Jesus, under one head. I just thank you and praise you that you were willing to die for me, despite the fact that I don't deserve it at all. I don't deserve anything but hell, fire, and brimstone and death and destruction. And yet you were willing to take that upon yourself and die for me. And I thank you for it, Lord. And I just pray that you would keep us humble before you and keep us constantly coming to you for everything, for every little need, that we would come to you as if we, you were our own father who loved us and cared for us more than any other earthly father, because you are God. Lord, as much as we come to our earthly fathers, Lord, we should come to you even more. And you want us to come to you. You want us to have a relationship with you. You want us to talk with you, and to spend time with you, and to get to know you more and more, and to get to know you deeper and deeper. Lord, you want that for us. And so I just pray that we would constantly come to you and humble ourselves and remember the truth of your gospel. And I thank you and praise you. And pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Wartime Theology. If you have any other topics you'd like discussed, be sure to DM us on our Instagram page at Wartime Theology.